welcome to the Trade Mastermind podcast. This is the Trade Secrets series. I'll be your host, Joseph Valente, and this is the number one podcast for the trade and construction industry. We are the secret to starting, scaling, and growing your trade or construction business. Today, I'm sat here with a very, very special guest, uh, Mr. Nick Stern. He is an international mergers and acquisitions specialist. He's a financial advisor. He's an entrepreneur. He's a business owner, and he's a very good friend. Welcome, Nick. Thank you for being here today. That's good to be here. Thank you very much. I want to start with a question and get your feedback on this. And that is, if you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business. Would you say that's true? It's absolutely true. I think the, the biggest problem most companies have is they just do not know what it is they're working towards and they don't know what they're doing at the moment. And I think, you know, we, we've covered this off in the mastermind sessions earlier on. It's all very much, it's all very good building a business that's got a good reputation. It's all very good building a business that has high revenue. But if you're not making profit and you don't know where your profit's coming from, then ultimately it's a waste of time. Completely agree. And, you know, for businesses that don't have the resources, you know, you're used to working with really, really big businesses and some small businesses. Um, and, you know, I've um, started as a sole trader and built big businesses. How would you advise these um, guys here today and those listening to the podcast to start to be able to get on top of their numbers? Like, what are those first steps when you're a small business, you don't necessarily have the resource or the financial knowledge? Um, what would you recommend for them to do? So I think the first thing is just be disciplined. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, the biggest problem with finance and running a business. It's about losing that discipline. It's about being taken away and doing lots of other things and then not doing the sort of the basics and getting the kind of compliance right. I think it's one of those things, if you guys haven't got the time to do something, pay people who have. So, you know, if you haven't got the time to do your bookkeeping or you haven't got the time to, you know, to do your compliance, make sure you've got someone who's there who's willing to do it for you, whether that be a family member, whether that be a professional. Um, and obviously, depending on your budget, depends on, <clears throat> you know, what kind of level of professional you, you go with. I think for me, it's really, really important that every single one of you is on top of the basics. Because if you're on top of the basics, the rest just happens. What you don't want to be is 12, 13 months down the line, and you're trying to retrospectively sort out problems yeah. and waste time. So it takes three times longer to get it wrong and correct it. Completely agree. Um, you know, and I'll give you an example. I remember when um, at Impra, we were doing about, I don't know, maybe two and a half million turnover at the time. And um, we weren't running management accounts. And uh, we'd, gone, we'd gone so big so quick and um, so deep into the business to then try and introduce that financial infrastructure, that management infrastructure was just absolutely insane. Um, you know, it took us so long to get on top of those processes as the business was still growing. Um, you know, so getting it right now as you're a smaller business means that you've got the right processes and the infrastructure to grow. You know, and we went back through some of our additional, and this is very relevant to everyone listening to this because you're all going to have experienced this having subbies or having um, employed engineers we went back through all of our purchase orders or our invoices and we'd found that 
Um, you know, so many of the engineers were booking tools on jobs. They were, you know, booking so many additional materials that they were probably using for private jobs. The suppliers were giving us additional materials that they thought we needed that we hadn't actually asked for and charged them for us. And we found about £100,000 worth of um, additional purchases that we could have saved or been on top of had we been on top of it. We did get the money back, but um, the discipline is to make sure um, that we start as we mean to go on. Now, I think, I think on that as well, it's, <clears throat> it's, we spoke about it earlier on today. It's really important that when you get a when you get a quote done, you go to your client, you provide them the quote, you've priced it all out, you've priced the materials, you've priced the labour, and then to revisit that same quote mm -hmm. at the end of the job and look at what you actually spent. You know, we what we were discussing at the um, the mastermind this morning was the whole concept around, you know, if you've got to do work for a client that won't let you do it during the day. And you have to get your subbies in in the evening. You're paying them two times the rate. You're paying them, you know, giving them days off in lieu. All that stuff's adding to your cost. So technically, your budget might have been right, but when you actually overlay what really happened, yeah. that's where the devil is in the detail. You know, that's a fantastic piece of advice. And I'll look to the back of the room and see Chris as I'm saying this, because I used to make Chris do this report. Um, and it was we had a pricing structure front end. Yeah, and we always believed that that was the money that we would be making. That was the targeted margin, you know, 30% or whatever it may be. And then when we'd get our management accounts at the back end of the month or the beginning of the following month, we'd be like, hang on, why is our margin dropped down to 20%? And so we did a margin report and we were working out what the job was going in and then what was coming at the back end and actually comparing the two. And then doing that very, very quickly identifies where your... Um, um, bleeding yeah where is that money going oh wow we've done 200 pound on additional purchase orders or the sales guy um, discounted the price coming in at the front end or someone's books and tools out or the job screwed up so we had to give compensation on the job or whatever it may have been all of this stuff is affecting the margin substantially I think that's right and I think also I mean we were speaking about this earlier on um, in relation to the kind of work you're doing. There's going to be some work you're doing which is highly remunerative, it's highly profitable, it generates great cash flow. There's other clients you're going to have that actually the top line price looks quite good, but once you've taken out the materials, you've taken out the labour costs, you've taken out the arsehole that they have to deal with, that them actually constantly ringing you up every five minutes and absorbing your time and your, your, your efforts. Actually, there's going to be some work you're just looking and going, I'm just not going to do that again. There's no, there's no point. You know, it's not, it's not generating enough margin. So actually being quite um, you know, quite brutal in some respects and looking at your business saying, well, this, this line of work's just not, it's not worth it. It's not, I'll, I'll let that be done by someone else in the, in the industry. I'm going to focus on this work. This is the stuff we do well. This is stuff that generates us profit. This generates us cash. We're just going to focus on this. Mm -hmm. And actually, and we were talking, um, talking about this with one of, one of you guys earlier on today, you know, there is a lot of power in saying no. You know, we, we think our job is always to say yes. When someone says, can you do this? Oh, yes, I can. Actually, sometimes it's good to say no because a lot of the time, if someone's not willing to pay for it, they might actually be willing to pay for it. They're just trying their luck to see if they can get away of not paying for it. And actually, if you say, look, you know, I can't do it for that price. I'm sure there'll be someone who can, but I can't. Yeah. More often than not, they go, actually, okay, I'll tell you what, I'll pay you because I want you to do it. Because more often than not, people buy people. So they're buying the people that are in front of them that they like. And if they have to pay a bit more for it, more often than not, they probably will. Exactly right. Um, who in the room here is, is doing jobs they don't think they're making much money on right now? Is there anybody that's got a mix of jobs where they're not sure whether they're profitable or not? 
Okay, cool. Well, again, getting on top of that detail and actually taking the time to work on your business and find it out um, is going to be critical. You know, and this is why we're really reinforcing and highlighting this for you now because sometimes it's about knowing what you need to go away and work on, yeah, and where those priorities are. And the first thing that you've got to do, sounds silly, but we've all done it for so long, is make sure that the jobs that we're working on are actually making us money, yeah? Or there is the term busy fool. Um, you know, and I remember I used to price jobs before I really understood pricing and margins correctly, just off the cuff. You know, no real understanding of whether they were profitable or not profitable and chasing turnover rather than profit. Um, so it's really important. And that's something that I took from Lord Sugar. You know, he sat down to, and that's probably one of the best bits of advice he gave me and, made, and said to me, probably, I think on our second board meeting was, Joseph, you've always got to understand your margins. If you don't know your margin, you don't know whether you're making a profit or not. And if you don't know whether you're making a profit or not, you're a busy fool. I think also building on that, you know, you've got to be careful as to what you spend your time doing. Mm -hmm. If you're spending your time on jobs that aren't making any money, you're rushing the jobs, you're doing a poor quality piece of work, you're maybe not finishing it or you're making silly errors, your reputation's at risk. I mean, we spoke about this again earlier on today. You know, the, we're in, a, we're in a, an environment now where if you do something wrong, social media knows about it before you've even left the driveway. You know, they're, they're already on, online slagging off your work, telling everyone what, what a bad job you've done. And the problem is they're probably slagging off your work because really it wasn't the job you should have been doing. You've done it to say yes because you're chasing the revenue, not because it's in your skill set or not because it's a piece of work that you can actually afford to do properly. Um, and the other bit of advice, and actually talking about, um, you know, anecdotal advice that we've received historically, you know, for me, it was when I was working in restructuring at PwC and one of the partners turned around to me and he said to me, um, we're supposed to meet up for a meeting to, to sort of catch up on a succumbent I was on. And he said to me, um, I, can't, I can't make it today. And I said, no, that's, that's fine. I said, I'll come to you. He said, no, Nick, you don't value your time. At some point in your life, you've got to start valuing your time. And it was such an important piece of advice because he was right. I used to think that my job was to run around and if someone said something, I'd say, yes, I'll do it. And I'd make, go out of my way to make sure it happened. But actually, do you know something? Every time you're, every minute you're spending on something that's not generating value for your business or not gener generating value for your clients is time you're wasting. And that time does have a value, whether it's you know, time with your family, whether it's, time, whether it's you know, profitability in your business. It's time that you should be investing wisely. And if you think it's not worth your time, don't do it because you can guarantee they'll be the jobs you do badly. They'll be the jobs that people bitch and moan about. And that leads me on nicely to um, kind of my next question or the piece of advice that you'll give around this. Because um, I think a lot of people in the room, you know, and in the industry, including myself at a point in time, um, you know, you don't really understand the value or the power of a good accountant. Um, and people try to cut the costs on what they pay to their accountant rather than actually looking to pay more. You know, you don't look to save on accountants, lawyers and coaches. Um, they're the areas that you spend lots and lots of money on because um, the less you pay, um, the worse a service that you get. So, you know, um, not not um, utilizing your time in the right way. Because, you know, I'm sure in the room, again, numbers are difficult to get on top of. You know, so some of the stuff that we say about the margin reports and everything else might be fairly alien, right? And to actually sit down and start to do it takes a huge amount of time and investment and probably wasted time if you start it and you don't get it right. Um, so, 
for a business that's going to the next level to be able to get kind of good management account services without paying too much, would you recommend like what size turnover would you recommend that business businesses start to get those management accounts in, and how much should they expect to pay um, for that service? Well, I think so. From my perspective, you know, with, with software like Zero and Zoho, and mm -hmm. there's lots of great pieces of software out there that that are, that are fine for the kind of companies of these sizes. You know, as your business grows, your requirements change, and the level of data you require changes. You know, when you're a new startup, simple information like margin analysis, you can probably run that off Zero on a monthly basis yourself. You know, it's relatively easy to get hold of. But as your business becomes more sophisticated, you're taking on more staff. You're taking on more contractors, you're taking on more complex pieces of work. Maybe you're taking on multi-phased work where maybe you're, you're doing one piece of work for a client but it's split into various sort of projects. At that point, <clears throat> you need to start breaking down your financial analysis into project-specific analysis. And then you start needing to pay more for your, for your services. And at that time, you need to start getting your, um, you know, the right accountants in. But I think the thing to remember as well is with any advisor, and we, we obviously touched on this earlier on today, it's every advisor in the market has the right place. You know, if you're a, like I said before, you know, if you're a simple business and you want to run a lifestyle organization where you just take home a bit of money every day and that's what you want, you probably don't need to spend lots of money. As long as you're getting more money than you're spending, it's probably all right. But, you know, the guys who are, who are involved here, who want to grow their business and want to expand and want to make something significant of what they're doing, then, you know, investing up front on good quality accountants, good quality lawyers is, is money well spent. But like, you know, one of the things we covered off today is the question you should be asking your advisor isn't how much is it going to cost? It should be what are you actually, what are you actually adding to my business? What networking events can you get me to? What clients can you get me in front of? What kind of, you know, professionals can you put me in touch with? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, a good, a good accounting firm or a good law firm that's got a wide base of clients should be able to open doors for you, mm -hmm. much in the same way a coach does or an equity investor might be able to. Excellent, good stuff. Now, um, I feel that, again, uh, a lot of people uh, get frustrated with accountants, for sure. Is anybody frustrated with their accountant in the room? That they don't hear from them often enough? Yeah? Um, and um, in my experience, you know, even when you do pay a lot more, and we do pay a lot for our financial um, advice from our accountants, you do have to chase um, those accountants down. You know, and I just really want to make a point more than anything here, here is to, um, you know, you've got to pay enough to make it of interest to them to be involved in your business, um, in my experience. You know, a couple of hundred quid or a hundred quid a month or something um, um, to that level, they're not going to be chasing you down. They're not going to be heavily invested. They're not going to be involved in your finances. They're not going to really care on the outcome of your business. They're just going to take that money, collect it at the end of the year and report your numbers. Um, um, and if you want that advice, you do have to pay money for it, okay? But also at the same time, even if you're paying that money for it, make sure that you are chasing that accountant down and that you're booking the meetings and that you're disciplined in those meetings. And, you know, what I'm saying to a lot of people now is, you know, 500 to 1,000 pounds will get you monthly management accountants to a level, right? And all of the services 
that go with it. But you also should be getting within that cost a face-to-face -face meeting with your accountant for an hour to review your numbers. Utilize that opportunity, not just to report accounting, to report the numbers and the performance on your business, but utilize that opportunity to get mentored by your accountant. It's a one-on-one -on -one session where you can actually really dig deep into the numbers and the documents and understand what a balance sheet is, what a profit and loss does, what cash flows are, you know, and what metrics to look for. It's a good opportunity to get mentored. So if you're worried about spending more because you think accounting services is just a service to your business, okay, flip it on its head and think about using it as a mentoring session. Would you say that's good advice? I 100% agree. I think it's really important to understand when you're when you're going and meeting advisors or or any form of mentor, you know, it's it's like any job interview. You know, a job interview is a two-way thing. You know, they're interviewing you because they want to know if you fit into your business, but you're interviewing them to want to know if you want to fit in their business. And it's the same with advisors. You know, they're interview you're interviewing them to make sure that they are actually the right advisor for what you what you want. You know, if you're a business that wants to have massive, rapid global expansion, you're probably not going to go to a shopfront accountancy firm in Basil didn't say, you know, you're going to go to, you know, a firm that has an international presence, that has specialist tax advisors, has, you know, specialists in overseas trade, because as your business grows, your chain, you know, your requirements change, you know, the advisors you had when you started may be incredible for what you needed them for when you started, but as your business grows, so do your requirements. And the reality is you do outgrow your advisors and they become you know, it becomes a bit too much for them, a bit too much of a struggle. You know, they've never done strategic advice and you're going to them saying, well, what strategic decision should I make? It's probably a little unfair because they don't have that experience. You know, they're probably just a bookkeeper. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, it's about continuing to sort of evaluate. And actually part of, you know, any ISO accreditation, it's really important. At the end of each year, you're accredited, you know, you're, you're looking at your contractors, you're looking at your suppliers, you're looking at your advisors and you're critically appraising whether or not they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. You know, are they delivering you the service on time and full? Are you getting the face time you want? Are they delivering you the service you need? And if they're not, you have that conversation with them. And if they might say to you, it's not something we can offer, in which case, you know, you, you politely, you know, move on to someone else. I think it's, it's always about keeping on top, as you say, it's your responsibility to keep on top of, of your advisors and your supply chain. Excellent. Good stuff. Now, look, guys, you know, as you're growing a business, it's important to note, right? Businesses that make a profit, businesses that make a loss can stay in business. Businesses that run out of cash, okay, is game over for those businesses. Um, and who in the room um, struggles with cash flow management? Anybody? Okay, yeah, quite a few people. Right? And there are models that lend themselves nicely to positive cash flow, and there are models that drain your cash flow. You work commercially, you're always paying out before you get paid. You work domestically and um, you don't give credit, you get paid up front um, when the job is complete and you're always ahead of the curve by the time um, you pay your suppliers out. So, um, you know, what advice can you give um, around kind of cash flow management and then also understanding whether your business is a, a positive cash flowing business or a negative cash flowing business um, and kind of how to identify that, I suppose, really. Well, I think the, the first thing, and it's something we covered off earlier today, is it's understanding who your suppliers are mm -hmm. and what their credit terms are. Because yeah. obviously, until you know what your credit terms are, your suppliers, you don't know when the money's leaving your account. Once you know what that is, then you're in a position to start working out what kind of clients you want to work with. And there's always a balance in that. You know, some of your commercial clients might be willing to pay a higher margin mm -hmm. on products because 
you know, they're more sophisticated buyers and they understand that service comes at a cost, but they will pay you on longer credit terms maybe. Whereas maybe some of your residential clients may be more prepared to pay you when you've done the job, at the point you've done the job, but they may not be as cash rich and therefore they may not be as willing to pay a higher price. So it's always a balancing act between what margin am I willing to accept yeah. versus what cost and what um, cash flows am I willing to sort of stomach. And then once you've got that bit, then it's overlaying the financing arrangements. You know, we spoke about invoice discounting. We spoke about funding lines. We spoke about credit facilities and debt facilities. And I think the key thing here is if you've got clients that are going to pay you on a longer credit term, mm -hmm. we need to make sure there's a, there's, a, there's a line in place that will provide you the liquidity you need whilst you're giving them that credit. So like we spoke about confidential invoice discounting, the ability to bring your credit terms forward to match your outflows but you can still take on clients that maybe traditionally you wouldn't have serviced. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's always, a, you know, it's about using debt in the right way and then balancing your kind of, you know, your, your, your margin with your, your cash flows. And look, you know, I know this is a seven-figure boiler mastermind. So you guys are in a position to create a very, very positive cash-flowing boiler installation business. Yeah, and the, the one piece of advice I want to give you on how to do this um, is um, what Nick, Nick touched on a moment ago, was making sure that you've got the right credit terms with the suppliers. Yeah, you need a strong credit limit and then you need solid payment terms. You know, if you can run a 60-day payment term, and lots of my one-to-one -one coaching clients, um, I've helped them get 60-day um, payment terms. Is there anybody in the room with 60-day payment terms? Okay, excellent, good stuff. So you guys have got 60-day payment terms, right? And if you can combine that with a solid credit limit of 20, 30, 40, 50, 100,000 in credit that you can utilize over those 60 days, you go and make a sale tomorrow, you install that boiler tomorrow, you buy the materials tomorrow, right? And the materials represent on average 38% of the order value, yeah? Or 38% of that two and a half thousand is retained cash, yeah, for 60 days. You start to build that up, okay, over 20, 30 days. You're starting to build um, a big portion of positive cash flow within your business. Yeah, and me and Chris saw as Impra was growing and growing, um, you know, our cash started to really, really increase based on the constant increase in sales, the increased credit limits and the increased payment terms. So as far as I'm concerned with everybody running this model, you should always be in a positive cash flowing position and quite a strong positive cash flow position should you be leveraging correct credit terms and correct payment terms. But you've got to be careful as you continue to scale, if you're driving sales and you don't increase your credit limits, but even if you have got 60 days, you haven't increased your credit limits and you're having to pay suppliers early ahead of time because you haven't gone back and had an increased credit limit conversation, you're just going to be eroding your cash. Yeah, which you don't want to do. You want to be building that cash out. Yeah, and that's right. And I think the other thing to remember is growing businesses, especially profitable growing businesses, the reason these businesses have a habit of failing if they grow too quickly is because exactly what, what you've just said, Joseph, is your cost base grows as you grow, but your cost base typically grows disproportionately to your revenue because what you do is you take, on a, you take on a man and a van, you've got the van cost, you've got the man cost, but it will take time before you've got the revenue for that person to justify their existence. So all the time you're growing, if you grow too quickly, you take on too much cost, before the revenues are starting to flow through as positive cash, what will happen is you'll run out of cash even though you're profitable. 
So it's actually something to be very aware of is that that disparity between cash and profit. You know, they are both positive things to look at, but just because you're making profit doesn't mean you're generating cash. And you'll often see business going, I just don't, I don't understand it. I'm every month I'm generating all this profit, but every month I'm watching my cash balance dwindle. What's going on? And what it is, is it's that kind of cycle where your costs are kicking in and your revenue hasn't yet caught up. And, and if you're growing too quickly, they will get to a point where you can't cover your costs because you still yet to collect your revenue. And that's when things like invoice discounts and credit lines come in to help you push through. Beautiful, excellent. What's kind of um, one last piece of advice you want everybody here today and all of those listening to the podcast to know? What, do you, what statement do you want to leave them with? I think for me, the most important thing you guys can take away from this is really understand where you're making your money. Really understand when you're, when you're going to receive your cash. And to me, the most important thing is really articulate what it is you're trying to achieve. Because once you know what you're trying to achieve, everything else can be built up to that. But if you're just running your business and just going day by day, just operating, and you don't have anything to aim towards, then you're just going to get lost and overwhelmed. Whereas I think if you know exactly what it is you ultimately want to achieve, the rest is just down to strategy. Beautiful. Let's give him a round of applause. Smashed it, my man. Thank you so much. Okay, guys, now let's open it up to a couple of questions from the audience live on the numbers. Who's got one for me? In terms of, we touched on slightly uh, with accountants. We, we were dealing with a local accountants and they, they've obviously, they're a lot bigger than they used to be. If, if we were thinking about going to possibly a national accountant or some kind of financial advisors, what advice could you give on that? Well, I think the main thing is, is to sit down firstly with the accountant you've got and talk them through the, the gap between what you're expecting and what they're giving, because it might just be simply that they're, they're believing they're delivering one service and what you're wanting is a different service. And obviously as you grow and as you turn up to sessions like this and you talk to other people in similar boats, you start to realize that maybe what you require from your accountant or your lawyers are different to what maybe you thought you did. So I would probably start by having that conversation with them, give them the opportunity to step up because maybe it is just a, a difference of perspective. Yeah, okay. And if you're unhappy with the way that conversation goes, then I think it's about going out to two or three other firms that are in the area or, or local to you and interviewing the partner who's going to be dealing with you right. and asking the questions, you know, what are you going to do? What can you do for us? What, you know, what doors can you open? You know, how can, how can you add value? But it's always being cognizant that if you're going to ask them for something, you've got to be prepared to, to balance that with a higher fee. Yeah. You know, you can't, you can't expect everything for nothing. And I think, yeah, I think um, you know, Joseph makes a really good point, which is, you know, one of the frustrations I've always had in the service sector is clients of mine get upset when they get knocked down on price, yeah. but they always think they can knock us down on price. Right. So there is always, a, you know, we've all got time. We've all got to kind of justify our existence. It's really important we balance that. But to me, it's interview them, tell them exactly what it is you're looking for. And back to what we said at the beginning of the session, you know, that whole point around success, articulate them to them what success means to you yeah. and then talk them through how you want them to help and ask them how they think they can assist you to deliver that. Beautiful, excellent question. Anybody else? Russell? Okay. One more from this side. Oh, go on, Jamie. We previously touched on it before about um, creating a holding company yep. and then um, companies within that Yep. Other companies within the holding company. Um, is there benefits in just creating an additional company um, and trading from your original one? Yep. Um, or do you have to be actively trading for so time I think, from 
those yeah. companies. So on the structuring point, the, the problem with structuring is it's very specific to your requirements. So what, you, what I would recommend is sit down with your accountant and talk them through the whole, the whole success story as to what you want to achieve. And then work with them to, to structure out what that looks like. Because depending on what you're trying to achieve, the structure does change. So when, when we were talking about the holding company, we were talking about trying to recycle cash within a company structure that allowed you to sort of maximize the available cash and protect yourself from, from downside risk. But obviously, depending on what you're trying to achieve would depend on the structure. So you might find, depending on your, out, on your circumstances, that actually having two, three, four companies that aren't related might be beneficial. So it's more of probably a tax question for your accountant, but, but definitely talk, talk them through what success is to you and then work with them to try and structure your company accordingly and they should be able to give you some guidance. Head over to www.trademastermind.co.uk to find out more or follow us on social media at Trade Mastermind or at Mr. Joseph Valente.